Can the government require masks in church? Can the government require social distancing at church? Can the government limit any kind of church activities whatsoever inside the church building or out? No. Never, ever, ever, ever. Um, so... Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and you might recognize we have a special guest with us here again today, Catherine Henry. Uh, she's an attorney, a constitutional attorney up here in Michigan. And for those of you who are listening on our audio um, or watching visual, in case you're wondering what we're doing here, now you guys do know we typically deal with scripture, exegesis, biblical history, and we do a lot of like church-focused stuff because we are The Church Split. But also the thing that causes church splits and division in the church is Politics And me and Brian have been involved in uh, some political movements up here during all the stuff with Gretchen Whitmer, and we've been highly involved in some of those things, and one of the biggest people who have been taking that that spear, so to speak, is uh, Attorney Catherine Henry. So, uh, she's been on here before. For those of, you, those of you who haven't watched or listened, go ahead and check that out. But you can actually find her now on YouTube at Catherine Henry. You can pretty much look that up. Isn't that just it's Catherine Henry, right? Uh, it's, so it's Restore Freedom, YouTube.com slash Restore Freedom, I think. Okay. All right. I, I just uh, looked up your name the other day and your channel popped right up. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So go, if you want to hear more uh, like good constitutional information, especially at Michigan people, check her out. Now I have some friends of mine in Florida and whatnot. You guys don't have a Michigan constitution, but you but still- But I hope to be moving there soon. What? <laughs> you can't leave us. <laughs> the uh, Atlantic coast of Florida. I got four cities narrowed down. I've been watching them for a couple of years now. Oh, oh, so I grew up in Orlando, so. Oh, lucky dog. Mm -hmm. Well, take me with you. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll be your secretary at your firm. I don't even care. Uh, so, but anyway, um, I want. We want to have a follow-up interview because things are moving up here like crazy in our political climate <laughs> and. I know I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're the one who's literally in the fray. For those of you who do not know, uh, Catherine was the one who gave the oral arguments for the Constitution before the Supreme Court, uh, right before they overturned everything. So would you go ahead and give us kind of a recap of what happened there, and we'll hop into the medical orders? Yes, I do like to tell people um, I was not representing any particular parties, like the plaintiff in the case that was heard on September 9th with the Michigan Supreme Court. I was um, acting as an amicus attorney. My interest was in... Defending the U.S. and Michigan constitutions and um, also the rights of the people of the state of Michigan. So um, those were my official interests there um, with the air quotes for those who are on audio only. <laughs> um, and so uh, what happened on September 9th, um, we have to understand best by really understanding that's not a normal case. So it wasn't like a case that was brought up through like a Michigan trial court and then court of appeals and then Supreme Court. What that case was is um, three doctor's offices and one uh, patient who had been denied service because it was deemed a non-essential medical service by Gretchen Whitmer. Um, they came together as plaintiffs and sued uh, the governor, the attorney general, and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services director. And uh, they sued in federal district court, which is the trial level court for federal court. And the essentially, everybody seems to think it was a great thing, but I'm the one person that has really expressed really um, 
a big frustration with hap- what happened in the federal district court at that point because what the judge said at that point was, well, basically, uh, even though the plaintiffs have alleged you know constitutional violations or federal statute violations, I don't really want to have to answer those questions or address whether Governor Whitmer is actually violating the United States Constitution if I can just resolve this case based on the state law and the state constitution alone. So um, essentially what happened, because those issues had never been talked about um, in the state court before or decided upon, I guess, um, the federal district court said, you know what, we're going to ask, we're going to certify questions to the state Supreme Court to um, clear up a couple of things. So very specific, very, you know, focused questions. The first one being, um, does the, do the executive orders that Gretchen Whitmer issued after April 30th violate the state laws on point, namely the 1945 Emergency Powers of Governor Act and the 1976 Emergency Management Act? And um, so um, the court um, was addressing that and then jumped to uh, addressing um, the issue of whether either of those two laws violated the state constitution provision specifically about the separation of powers and the non-delegation um, clause that are that's in our state constitution. So what the court did, um, again, that was one of those things that I was arguing. Uh, I was one of three attorneys that got to argue on behalf of the constitution and against these executive orders. Um, the plaintiff's attorney got to go first. I was actually the first amicus awarded any oral argument time. And then the uh, legislature was actually allowed to participate as an amicus attorney and argued right after I did. So um, at any rate, what the court did in the end was to say that the um, the governor did violate the Emergency Management Act of 1976. All seven Supreme Court justices agreed. This is not a partisan <laughs> thing. So when our governor has gone on you know, all kinds of press conferences afterwards saying, well, the court said that I didn't violate any laws whatsoever. That's a load of garbage because they seven and zero agreed she violated the state law after April 30th. Now, what wasn't discussed is whether she violated any state law before that. And what wasn't discussed then, the court literally came out and said, because we've said that she's violating that state law, we don't actually have to address whether that's, that particular 1976 state law violates the state constitution. They didn't answer that question at all. So then they went over to the 1945 law and said, okay, well, we did, she's not really violating that law. That law really only has one reasonable interpretation, and it's the one that she gave. Um, so she's trying to blame the legislature from 1945 of, um, and then vicariously the legislature from you know, the current year uh, for enacting that. Uh, funny thing is, the way our laws work, you see, is um, so the legislature actually gets to vote on those. And then when it's a simple majority, as it is in a vast majority of the instances, uh, the governor actually has to sign it in order for it to become law. The only way that it can become law in that instance without the governor signing it is if it goes back to the Senate and House and there's a two-thirds majority vote to override the veto. I'm going to bet $1,000 on the fact that there was no um, legislative uh, overriding of a governor's veto back in 1945, (laughs) and that, in fact, the governor back then did sign that bill, which made it become law. So anyway, they're all equally responsible. Um, But nevertheless, when there's something unconstitutional, regardless of which branch of government is the one to put it in place, the governor took an oath of office to uphold the U.S. and Michigan constitutions, and so she had an obligation to not enforce something that was so blatantly unconstitutional instead of using it as a weapon against the people. 
But none of that was even talked about here uh, in the case. What they said, though, is that that law, the 1945 law, was entirely, literally the words say, it was entirely unconstitutional. So no governor can ever use that particular law ever again uh, against the people of the state of Michigan. So um, it kind of is a bad uh, deal then for all those people that were out collecting all those signatures for the 1945 repeal because the law is already gone. But um, at any rate, if you fast forward then, well, actually, we don't have to fast forward anything. That decision came out on October 2nd. And while uh, within, I don't know, maybe an hour or so of that court decision coming out, I think somewhere around then, I was out doing a YouTube live uh, discussion. And uh, I'm pretty brand new to YouTube, so I was like, you know, trying to get it all figured out and everything. And uh, we actually You're doing tried pretty good for being brand new on YouTube, by the way. <laughs> I'm a little jealous of the subscriber count, but continue. <laughs> um, we'd love to have you on board if you're not already a, a subscriber to my channel. But, yes. Um, so we um, we can attribute the greatness to the guy behind the curtain that works uh, for with both of us. Yes, so, yes, Brian um, over there. So anyway, um, the... Um, yeah, so I, you know, had some technical issues trying to figure out Facebook and everything, and so we do a Facebook Live that didn't work, another Facebook Live that didn't work. So we go to YouTube. Anyway, by the time we're done with all those lives, the governor had already come out with a press conference to say that she, in fact, didn't violate any state laws, uh, that her unconstitutional and illegal executive orders that literally have no basis in the law whatsoever, at least after April 30th, somehow get another 21 days, at least, uh, to <laughs> be in effect. That. Yeah. And uh, I think she realized how stupid it was to say something that clearly inaccurate. So instead of walking that back and realizing, you know, about that, uh, I'm an attorney, I'm licensed to practice law in the state of Michigan, and I'm the, and I'm the governor, maybe I should actually know what I'm talking about before I open my mouth. Uh, no, instead of doing that, she said uh, very quietly to the Michigan Supreme Court, hey, so uh, could you actually give us like another 21 to 28 days? Because you could do it. Uh, there's no core rule that I can actually cite to say we, it's supposed to be that way. No case that actually says it's supposed to be that way. But I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff and just stretch and stretch and stretch this legal theory out to see if we could just force you to do it because, why? Because she wanted to ensure she had enough time to put into place all of her other executive tools at her disposal, she said. And then she kind of alluded to, well, and I might also work with the legislature. Um, so <laughs> she maybe, told us, maybe. yeah, she told us what she was gonna do. And then lo and behold, that very same day, this is all October 5th, right? So this is the very next business day. Um, so in addition to filing that, that same day, she had her uh, subordinate, uh, Robert Gordon, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services director, who was party to the lawsuit. Um, he issues a very wonderful press release, which we could talk about in a moment. But then he also issues the very first of these next round of emergency orders under the public health code, which I've been trying to warn people about in Michigan since April. Guys, come on. Um, so at any rate, that's kind of what we have right now. We have a whole bunch now. I don't remember exactly how many he's issued, but he's probably trying to catch up to Gretchen. And last I checked, she had 192 executive orders issued in the year 2020. Put that in context, 1993 all the way through 2019 when governor, when Gretchen was governor. Uh, what is that? 26 years. I can't do the math. I'm looking for the guy in the corner to give me confirmation. Um, in 26 year span, there were 605 executive orders total and only 25 of those had anything to do with uh, emergency powers. 
So in 26 years, 25 orders, and uh, that's including a bunch of uh, liberal governors that decided to write these at a bigger, uh, faster pace than the conservative governors um, or the fake conservative governors such as Snyder. But anyway, um, <laughs> so then we look at fast forward to 2020, and of course the year's not over, and Governor Whitmer has already issued 192 executive orders, and I want to say maybe 11 of those are proper executive orders that just deal with the reorganization of the executive branch, which is allowed in Article 5, Section 2 of our state constitution. So those don't really count. That leaves us, what, like 181 executive orders? for one governor for emergencies compared to the 25 total in 26 years of Michigan history. And what, like seven, like what, seven months, six months? Yeah. Yep. Starting in March. I mean, making it very difficult for anyone to even keep track of what in the world is even required by yep. the c civilians at this point. Yeah. <laughs> or asked of, not even required, but I'll let you do your thing. Yeah. So um, at any rate, so she very clearly knew we were going to be doing, uh, that she was going to be doing this and said she's planning to use the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to further all of her orders. She's just shifting from one set of laws to another. Now, to get to this uh, MDHHS Director Gordon, what's interesting about this, I don't think I brought it with me. Um, I do want to share with you, though, something. I hope this is the right thing that I brought. Um, I'm going to double check. Oh, nope, that's not even the right thing either. Okay, so I'm going to do this off memory. So uh, essentially what happened is on October 5th when he's issuing his press release, and you can actually go to michigan.gov. <laughs> it's right on there on the governor's, uh, on the government's website. Um, he is talking about how, uh, much as Gretchen has done, about how um, the Supreme Court, the legislature is to blame for a lot of things now because it's the legislature who bothered to sue her in the first place this wasn't even the legislature's lawsuit. Um, but anyway, so uh, blaming the legislature and then blaming the uh, Michigan Supreme Court for, in fact, determining or declaring that she, in fact, 7-0, and oh, guys, uh, that they determined she violated the state law. And uh, that, that means she probably got it wrong and should have known. Um, and then um, that the other one was declared unconstitutional. So um, it's their fault that people are going to die and we're going to have to have more shutdowns and the economy is going to collapse and, you know, we're going to have to have Biden as Trump to say, or Biden as Trump, Biden as president to save us and, you know, everything else that she's been saying, right? Um, just insanity. Well, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services director, in his version of that, also talked about this funny little thing, right? The um, separation of powers. So he doesn't talk about that. He just says that shame on the Michigan Supreme Court because what they did was they set aside this perfectly good 75-year-old law on this non-delegation doctrine, this silly little notion that no one has ever used in the last 75 years in Michigan to uh, invalidate any kind of law. In fact, that notion, that simple, silly little doctrine has only ever been used once in the last 85 years to invalidate any laws in the, at the you know, United States Supreme Court level or the federal court level. The funny little thing, though, about our state constitution, this is super important because a lot of people think that you have to be an attorney to read the constitution uh, or read the laws. Um, our legislature doesn't even read the laws when they're passing them, so don't worry about that. You got this. You can read this. Um, <laughs> the um, Article 1, Declaration of Rights of our Michigan Constitution, Section 3 is literally two sentences long. Um, so it says... 
Uh, oh, um, that's a good one, but that's actually not what I was going to try to share with people. Um, Article 3, Section 2 is actually what would be relevant here, and that one is also two sentences. Um, so, <laughs> Article 3, Section 2, the powers of government are divided. Oh, by the way, the title is literally called Separation of Powers of Government. Okay, that's the title of the section. Uh-oh. And it says, the powers of government are divided into three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. No person exercising powers of one branch shall exercise powers properly belonging to another branch, except as expressly provided in this Constitution, which namely is that Article 5, Section 2 I kind of briefly mentioned, where she can reorganize the executive branch, but she has to present those orders to the legislature, give them 60 days to essentially veto or disapprove of those reorganizational structures, um, and, uh, and that's all that she can do, right? You can't regulate the people through executive order. That's a legislative function, you know, Government 101 for kindergartners. So she... Um, this Michigan Department of Health and Human Services director, he glosses over the whole separation of powers thing. And then he's attacking this, uh, the court for being so careless with this super important 1945 law because this non-delegation, uh, what did he call it, doctrine, and then he downgraded it to a, a notion. Well, something we need to keep perfectly you know, intact in our minds is the U.S. Constitution um, has Article 1, Article 2, and Article 3. Uh, that basically give us the separation of powers. Article one gives the executive or legislative branch the uh, legislative authority. Congress has the legislative authority, and Article two gives the president executive authority, and Article three gives uh, the Supreme Court the judicial authority in our country. And so we have, you could say, there's a separation of powers doctrine, but I would say it's definitely not a notion. It's a doctrine. It's something that's duh. Our founders didn't think they had to spell anything out. Further than that, because they literally divided the powers of government into completely separate articles. But, you know, for those people that are too challenged to understand that, um, the founders of our Michigan Constitution decided that they would up the uh, common sense ante a notch and spell things out even more. So in our state constitution, we have Article 4, Section 1, that gives the legislative branch, the legislature, the legislative authority. Um, Article 5, Section 1, gives the governor the executive authority. And Article 6, Section 1, gives the the Supreme Court, the judicial authority here in the state of Michigan. Okay, so that's pretty analogous, right? Okay, except for that one thing that I just kind of referenced, Article 3, Section 2 of our state constitution, which literally says separation of powers. So that's already a huge difference, right? It's not a doctrine. That is a statement. It is a clause. It's something that's like written technically and spelled out uh, into the state constitution itself. And then the whole non-delegation, uh, no person exercising powers of one branch shall exercise powers belonging to another branch except as this specific constitution allows. Uh, that's not a notion. It's not a doctrine. It's actually the words of the Constitution. And even though I don't think he's, he might be an attorney, regardless of whether uh, Robert Gordon is an attorney or not, there's this little thing that Article 11, Section 1 uh, of our United States Constitution, excuse me, of our state Constitution, Article 6 of our United States Constitution, that requires all of those officers to uphold and support the U.S. and Michigan Constitution. Even if he was not an appointed or elected official, just being a government employee, did you know that our state law, MCL 15.151, requires that all of them, school bus driver, crossing guard person, anything, they are required to take the same oath? 
Did not know that. So literally, if you work for government, <clears throat> you better be following the U.S. and Michigan constitutions because if not, you're violating your oath of office, and that's grounds for termination, amongst many other things. So at any rate, um, he's making a mockery of the court and of the legislature. Quite frankly, I don't think they went and did enough. I'm, I'm you know, plenty furious at what they've done to us. Uh, but what he's failing to, to uh, you know, understand when he's making this mockery and talking about how when he used to work in the court system and no one's ever challenged the shame on the state of Michigan that they took 75 years to use this clause, not a doctrine, to invalidate a purely, obviously unconstitutional law. So uh, the fact that it hasn't been done before is not a reason why it shouldn't be done now. It's a reason why we should look back and go, yikes, let's make sure that never happens again, that we allow that long to go where we're not cleaning up the laws on the books. So at any rate, um, super important. So where does that leave us now, though? With the orders, right? The MDHHS right, yeah, orders. Yeah, MDHHS, yes. <laughs> so Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, in case you're wondering about the acronyms and the alphabet soup we have to offer you for today. Um, speaking of that, I'm a little hungry. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services orders, I guess I didn't bring enough of my notes, so I'm going to do this one on memory, too. So those are based on the uh, Michigan Codified Law, MCL 333.2253. The analogous version, if you're seeing in local health departments, there's orders that basically are doing, trying to do the same thing by like Oakland County, for example. That one came out, I think, on Friday the um, 2nd, I believe. But anyway, those are done through public health code 333.2453. And they have almost identical provisions. So uh, what those laws allow the, um, I'll just refer to the one with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. What they allow the director to do is issue orders that do one of three things. One, and I already kind of wrote this out for one of my own YouTube videos. It just so happens I have this handy. So I already crossed them off. I'll get why in a moment. Uh, Number one, and you guys probably can't read this. I'm just pointing at something random and that's totally okay. Um, (laughs) But you can prohibit, he can prohibit gatherings for any purpose. Um, let's just take a pause on that for a second. So we have this little thing in the United States Constitution called the First Amendment. Uh-oh. And the First Amendment allows us to, um, let's see, um, we can, uh, Congress can make no law um, abridging the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Not to mention we have that whole, uh, you can't prohibit the free exercise of religion. I'm pretty sure we're allowed to gather in order to um, exercise our religion. I think that's how a lot of pretty denominations sure that's, do that. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how the First Amendment kind of works in general. Yeah, we, so, we exercise but, that right once a week at least. But from a from a you know religious perspective, isn't that kind of how a lot of religions do that? They oh, gather yeah. to they, assemble. They tend, yeah, the religions tend to work really good together when there's fellowship. R- yes. Weird. You I'm can't do. Come up in the mask discussion and oh, okay, oh, so okay, that'll be fun. Um, So there's also this fun little thing here in the Michigan Constitution. Um, So Article 1, that whole Declaration of Rights, if you're from Michigan and you have not read the Michigan Constitution, at least read Article 1. 27 wonderful, 28, 27 or 28 wonderful little uh, sections, 27, on um, our rights. And uh, Article 3, excuse me, Article 1, Section 3 um, says assembly, consultation, instruction, and petition, the people have the right peaceably to assemble, 
Okay, right then and there, that kind of shoots down Oops. his statute. Uh, to consult for the common good, also kind of stops him there. To instruct the representatives and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Pretty much all of those things, he can't prohibit the gathering of people for any purpose because they might be doing it for any and all of those purposes. Namely, the first one that says, the right of the people peaceably to assemble. That means for any reason, we have the right to get together when we want to. That peaceably assemble is peaceably assembling. Yep. Now, it's funny thing is they seem to think that those riots and burning things down and all the Antifa stuff, that's totally okay. We're not Mo- going to prosecute that. The mostly peaceful protests. Yeah, about <laughs> that. Um, so, and then we have this other little thing here in our state constitution, Article 1, Section 4. It starts with the words freedom of worship and religious belief. Right. So every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. Uh, So if I believe that fellowship is a huge piece of my worshiping God, then I should be able to do that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that fellowship, but worship, the singing and raising our voices to celebrate and honor God would all be part of my religious experience and um, freedom of worship. And funny thing is, I think they're trying to say you can't do that in church. That's a whole other topic. Uh Um, Or maybe when I'm done uh, yapping my gums about this. Um, But at any rate, so that's the first thing at both of these statutes, right? So if you can possibly read this uh, chicken scratch from across the room, we have um, the state health department is the 2253. The local health departments are the 2453. And these are the three things. So moving on to number two then, because number one's clearly unconstitutional, which I would argue the whole thing really renders the entire thing unconstitutional and he can't be using it. But let's just, for the sake of argument, go on to section two. So you can ensure the continuation of essential public health services. Okay, so basic words here. Um, let's look at, well, okay, so what is he trying to do? He's trying to require us to wear masks. He's trying to reduce the capacity in restaurants and places like that. He's trying to uh, require businesses to use elements of contact tracing uh, to uh, force you to write down your name, phone number, blah, 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 blah. Would you walk into a store just to buy something so that they could then turn around and tell uh, the local health department that you've been in there and they can do all these contact tracing measures? It's fantastic. I'm really proud of my dad because it sounds like he got into an argument with someone at a store that my, he was following my uh, stepmom and my little sister. She's 21, but she's still my little sister, uh, into the store. <laughs> and because they were already in the store, my dad felt like, okay, I really got to go in there to you know, find my wife and my daughter. Uh, but he was trying to lovingly educate them on how that's really not appropriate to take down all of his information. Next time I told him to go by the um, pseudonym of Batman. Oh. So we're going to try. Well, he, how can he be Batman when I'm Batman? Oh, my dad's name is literally Bruce Wayne. Never mind. Okay. I'm, I got nothing. <laughs> Bruce Wayne Reed. Now, Wayne is his middle name, but just to be clear, oh, he is Bruce Wayne. I mean, he cool. does have to have that element of like, you know, like with Clark Kent and the glasses. He's got to throw Reed on Bruce Wayne so nobody knows. Makes sense. Yeah. So Hide don't all the tell money. anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you have public, essential public health services. So is requiring somebody to wear a mask even a... a public, it might be public health related, but it's not a service. 
It's not something they're offering. A service exactly. is something that you're offering for the benefit of the recipient. Uh, in other words, something that you can turn down. If I want to offer you my lawn mowing services, you could say, wonderful, great, my lawnmower broke, I will pay you your normal rate. Or you could say, uh, I have a teenage son for that, so no thanks, um, you can go and mow the next lawn. And you would have a choice right? if you wanted to take my service. Um, I uh, utilized um, the, um, wow, I'm forgetting Sarah's last name, it starts with an H, who cut my hair. Oh, Huff. Huff, thank you. Yes. I always mix her last name up with yours, and then I get really screwed. Huff has, oh, that would do it. I yeah. met you guys on the same day. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I utilized her haircutting services back in May uh, to get my Freedom haircut and never thought I would Facebook Live a haircut because that seems really vain, but it was for the good cause of freedom. <laughs> I even Facebook Lived my child and my husband getting a haircut that same day, but I chose to utilize that service. She didn't force upon me a haircut, right? It's right. a service. Common sense, people, common sense. So um, is requiring a mask of someone a service? No. Is requiring, you know, hand sanitizer or, you know, uh, contact, tra contact tracing, is that even a service? <laughs> um, is, you know, requiring the um, people government. to have reduced capacity in their restaurants or anything like that, is that a service? Like, that doesn't even make any sense, people. Yeah, no. So what about this concept of continuation of essential public health services? None of those things were a thing to continue. Those were brand new things that just started in this COVID-19 era, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so let's look at, uh, you know, continuation of essential public health services. So um, <laughs> you essential public health services, really what that would be is, I would say there's a good case you could argue that in government buildings, they could say, well, essential public health services, we could require that all government buildings have on the desk a pile of, um, you know, clean, a box of um, masks. I mean, I really, I think that'd be awful because you're encouraging people to, you know, spread more bacteria around themselves and other, but whatever, we won't even go there. So, but if they thought that the, that was medically appropriate, they could offer masks. They could offer hand sanitizers. They could um, even offer educational services about COVID-19, the genesis of it, how it, um, you know, what you could, what kinds of people need to look out for it, you know, if you're immunocompromised and what that means and how you can build up your immune system and, you know, all those kinds of things. Correct, right? right. So they could offer that education. But really what this is talking about is ensure continuation of public essential public health services. What that's getting at is what about when the governor shut our whole government down and our whole lives down, right? So those people that were receiving domestic abuse, um, you know, counseling so they didn't uh, act violently towards their spouses anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Or what about victims of domestic violence who were receiving some sort of individual therapy or counseling? What about those that were in anger management classes or those who are taking some sort of parenting classes because they have found themselves in an abuse and neglect case and they've been harming their children and don't know better. And so the court has ordered them to take part in some kind of class through MDHHS to be able to better their skills of parenting because, you know, the government's always the best one to tell us how to parent our children. Um, so, and I say that in just because I have been an attorney for many years for children in abuse and neglect cases. So mm -hmm. I've seen how that doesn't always 
help parents, but sometimes those classes do. So uh, in that sense, I'm saying that would be a continuation of public health services we should keep in mind. What about um, NA and AA offerings? You know, so people who have anger management issues, people who have drug and alcohol addictions, people who are abusing their children, people who are abusing their spouses, people who are suffering from uh, suicidal thoughts and need support groups or other kinds of things like that. Um, you can't get those medications unless you have the appointments, that kind of thing. All of those um, are um, things that should be a continuation, right? They should be continuing those essential public health services while you have this other thing going on. That's what it's meant to do. It's not supposed to be this whole, like, um, you know, gateway into doing all these new things to requiring of us. And you can't say it's continuation because it's continuing the governor's orders, which were just declared illegal and unconstitutional. That's not a thing. So the third, just real quick, because it's yeah, the last good. thing. Look how quick this is. So <laughs> the last thing they can do under these orders is enforce current health laws, right? Laws that are already on the books. There's no law to require us to wear masks. There's no law to require us to record our, you know, to participate in contact tracing or have businesses be the ones to police and, and utilize this contact tracing method. There's no laws on the books that require us to have half capacity uh, because capacity is actually set. That's what the standard of the law is, right? Fire code and other things like that. So uh, literally it's saying um, what they're trying to do is, is um, enforce doubly on the laws that are on the books. That's not what's allow allowed. They're allowed to have these orders to enforce current health laws. So under none of those three provisions, are they allowed to require masks or contact tracing or, you know, for requiring us to be socially distant or anything like that. So um, really what it boils down to is in the end, I have thousands of people every day that reach out to me and say, what about my child? My child's not being excluded from school. Can they do that? Can they, you know, the MDHHS orders, that's what they're telling me they have to follow. Actually, every single principal, teacher, guidance counselor, crossing guard, school secretary, uh, did I mention teacher? Every single person who works in the school system, not to mention those that are duly elected to the school board, uh, not to mention your city council or your um, mayor or your uh, city clerk or township clerk or, you know, board of trustees or your county commissioners or your state legislators or your sheriffs or your police officers. Literally everyone in government has to take that oath of office. It's either the one that's super obvious they take under Article 6 of our U.S. Constitution or uh, one that's more spelled out under Article 11, Section 1 of our state constitution or the catch-all oath, which is MCL 15.151. So if you're at all in government, you have a job to uphold the U.S. and Michigan constitutions, whether you like them or not, whether you think they're super smart or wise or stupid, it's your job to uphold them. If you don't want to do that, you can't work that job. That's how it works. So uh, no, your child does not have to wear a mask if they are being forced to wear a mask. Uh, that's illegal and unconstitutional, not to mention all the children with special needs, IEPs, 504 plans, uh, those who come in with medical notes. I actually know of children who have both IEPs and medical notes that say the child cannot wear a mask and school districts. Oh, now I know. Well, I know several actually, unfortunately, <laughs> in that scenario. Um, 
And the school districts are saying, well, that's not good enough. Now you have to fill out this paperwork. And by the way, when you do, uh, that's only going to get you a meeting with us so that we can teach you and your child how to force your child how to properly wear a mask. No, that's child abuse. Uh, and every single one of those individuals are stepping outside of the scope of their authority that they have. And so they are going to be held criminally and civilly responsible in the end uh, for all the children that they're harming by requiring this. Now churches. Oh, now churches. Yeah, so it's funny about all that. It's really funny. I wanted, I was, when you were on a roll, I was like, yeah, you're like, no, go ahead. But what I said also, to go back to number two of the MCL 333.2253, now I sound like you. Um, but uh, to ensure a continuation of essential public health services as well, by the way, I mean, I can still go see a doctor. I can still go, it, it, I can go take part of my, my health services. So that's not uh, an effect. But also, as you mentioned, all those other people in suicide, like counseling and stuff. But then there's also people I know that had like life-threatening surgeries that were delayed. So now suddenly they're being denied the continuation of essential health public services. So again, where's your line? It seems awfully arbitrary. You seem to be willing to compromise it over here, but not over here. And that's why these types of conversations are extremely important. Now, um, uh, with the school board, the reason for those who are on audio, Brian's son is one of those who has, uh, he was born at 25 weeks. If you've watched our pro-life uh, videos, you already know that, which means he's had about I don't know, it's countless surgeries and things like that. And it's been a battle that Brian's been fighting at his school um, for, for the rights of the, con the constitutional rights for his children. And not just your children, but everyone's children. But anyway, so now churches. So um, now that's, of course, as a pastor, that's my passion. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things is God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that's... Second Timothy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Then also we're to stand up for the oppressed. And then also there's so many different things about that, about God-given liberty and God, -given, uh, God gives free will and a lot of little things we can unpack there. So when it comes to churches, what is your thoughts when it comes to uh, requiring masks uh, indoors. Because I know a lot of pastors are in tough positions because one half the congregation is yelling about wearing masks. The other ones are saying this is garbage. Uh, and what you essentially have, um, a lot of pastors are compromising to say, wear a mask because, uh, you know, well, guys, you should wear a mask. Think about the other people. Just compromise here. But what ends up happening is the fact that you have one essential group compromising all their individual liberty for yes. another group. So yes. go ahead. I'm just going to, the pins are set up. Go ahead and throw the bowling ball. <laughs> so uh, I should be able to get a strike on this one. Um, maybe a whole 300 games. So here, uh, let's start with the Constitution. The Constitution, the United States Constitution, we kind of alluded, alluded to this a moment ago. We have that whole, you know, tiny little clause, really, uh, the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting free exercise thereof. So um, there certainly can't be any order about that, right? And um, to the extent, I mean, our orders that have been coming down from our governor and MDHHS, they, they you know, they, they look like they're going to penalize churches, but they're not. But are they? And they're really trying to scare churches, quite honestly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, um, in fact, like, oh, say, religious schools, such as, I think it's Libertas, uh, here in our area that the local health department is coming after and they're threatening the uh, school board or principal or whatever administration with um, misdemeanor arrests. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, because they don't want to have me. to make the children wear masks. Oh, good grief. 
Um, so anyway, you have that First Amendment right. And like we mentioned, too, you have um, Article 1, Section 4 of our state constitution that every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. So his own conscience. Let's think about that and unpack that because that doesn't mean the dictates of the collective conscience of a church um, or, of, you know, congregation or of a leadership board or the deacons or elders or whatever you have in your particular um, church. Um, so quite frankly, what it comes down to is should a church that, so can the government require masks in church? Can the government require social distancing at church? Can the government limit any kind of church activities whatsoever inside the church building or out? No, never, ever, ever, ever. Um, so what about the church leadership? Can they do that? Should they do that? Well, um, funny thing is they should take a little hint uh, here from our state constitution, because if you look at, uh, first of all, I'm going to back up a second to the preamble of our state constitution. It says that we, the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution. Again, not as a collective. We have individual liberties that are guaranteed to us as individuals. God created each one of us uniquely and gave us those freedoms. Um, and each, every person, every person, not uh, every church or every congregation, every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience, right? Not as a collective, not as what your elders or deacons or anybody else says, or quite frankly, even your pastor, if your pastor is the one making those decisions in your, in your church, every person has the right to exercise the liberty to worship God. So when you have, um, say, I don't know, um, well, God and, and Christianity, right? Uh, we talked briefly about fellowship. Right. Um, being able to see and communicate with others. Um, you know, I am hard of hearing. Um, I guess, you know, you could say mine actually was not at birth. So you could say mine was man-made or that God made me this way, right? Because right. circumstances allowed it. So I have not been able to hear out of this ear. And I was going to say the number of years. It's been a while. <laughs> I was eight years old last time I heard out of this ear. And I was already at the age where I had learned to speak and everything else like that. So my parents, it didn't even occur to them, I don't think, to ever make sure that I was taught sign language or anything like that. So I have half hearing and I have survived. Most people don't even know I'm deaf. Most people have no clue until I tell them. Uh, I strategically position myself always like on this side of a table and try to have people sit on that side of me. Or, you know, if I'm sitting in an auditorium, I try to position myself in certain ways. I will actually sit on the left side because then the professor and the acoustics actually work so that everything else is on my hearing side. Um, and I read lips. In fact, I was um, commenting <laughs> with Will today when I, the first thing I said to you was like, oh my, you've like grown this whole facial hair thing uh, because <laughs> I think you had a goatee maybe when I last saw you. I, I think, yeah, it was like a low, it was a shallow beard. Yeah. Like a very shallow beard. And um, to me, as someone who reads lips, that should tell you how instinctively I pick up on something because he's now got all this like 
hair all around his face <laughs> where I would normally read his lips. My so, masculinity, it's emulating. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky for me, he's on my hearing side, so that also helps. But um, it's something that, you know, you know, like when I go to into a store these days and they all or a restaurant and they all have a mask on, I'm constantly saying, I am hard of hearing. I really need to read your lips. Could you please remove your mask so that I can continue to communicate with you? It's not just the hard of hearing. By the way, there's a lot of people. In fact, most of our elderly start to lose their hearing at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's going to lose his hearing any minute now because of all the heavy metal that he's listened to throughout the years. We won't even go there. He's also a machinist, uh, so the real metal. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> Um, common themes there for him. Um, but hearing loss is not this like, you know, one in a billion type of concept. It's oh, actually no, it's, it's very common. Very common. And a lot of people don't even realize that they read lips. In fact, I probably was quite old before I really realized I read lips to survive. And it was coming out of situations where people would be like this. And I was like, wait. And I was realizing I was struggling to read their lips in order mm. to hear them. So, um, at any rate, you know, you have those concepts. God knows all those things about us, right? Um, or you have issues where, um, you know, for example, young children uh, need to learn how to understand proper ways of communication and expressing emotion and, you know, how to just be human with another human. Right. Um, you have people with autism that struggle to pick up on those things a little bit more than the normal child, if you want to say that, or the, the average child. And so um, they really need to see those things and have those connections. And so when you're socially distant, when you have a mask on and you're separating yourself, um, you are separating yourself from each other. But uh, in a church, you're separating yourself from God. What do you have to hide from in a church? If you're going to church to hide from something, maybe you're in the wrong place. Or maybe <laughs> you're going there for the wrong reason. Yeah, I've said it before, too. If, you want, if you're scared of going to church... That's okay. If you're afraid, fearful right now, live stream. Yeah. Okay. Stay home. Yeah. Like, and you know, the people who are like, well, I have to wear a mask when I go to church. I'm like, then why are you at church? You know, if right. you are literally that susceptible and some of the people are not susceptible, it's just scared. Um, that's a whole other issue, but let's assume yes. it's a health issue. Right. But to those people who have a health issue, um, and I kind of skips it. There's a lot more we could have said on that point, but I'm just going to kind of fast forward here. Um, well, let me mention one thing. So worship, Right. Um, we're supposed to go to church or be collective, you know, in our worshiping and to like literally worship, like not just worship in the sense of like the general sense that's in the Constitution, but singing and re- lifting our voices and celebrating God and, you know, recognizing his uh, his glory and all of that. Um, we're supposed to do that by, you know, singing and talking and communicating with each other in that sense. And you can't do that when you're all masked. That just it just doesn't work that way. In fact, some people are being told that you can't sing because COVID nineteen spreads a lot more when you sing. Um, well, that's going to bring us to like some really common sense stuff. How about the medicine aspect of this? So I'm not the PPE expert, but I do know experts and have been talking to them this whole time since April and May. Uh, expert ep- epidemiologists and um, um, immunologists, such as Dr. Martin Dubrovic from right here in Cadillac, mm-hmm. Michigan. Um, so um, expert PPE or PPE experts, as well as um, those who are you know licensed in all kinds of things with with OSHA situations and have served in the military doing all this kind of stuff, who have served as expert witnesses for things related to PPE. Uh, 
such as um, my friend Kristen Megan. Um, you know, I, all kinds of medical providers, um, uh, ER physicians and doctors, or, um, um, physicians assistants and uh, medical providers, nurses. Um, I know of a physician's assistant who owns her own medical practice over on the east side of Michigan. Um, I mean, I've been talking to people left and right about this, right? So what we are seeing is that the instances of people who are wearing masks, um, they have an increased risk of respiratory infections just mm -hmm. from having a mask on in general. They have an increased uh, um, uh, rate of having bacterial infections on their skin, mm -hmm. uh, breaking out in rashes and acne and all kinds of things. They're seeing huge uptick in gum disease and other kinds of uh, mouth abscesses from wearing masks and having that bacteria constantly um, circulating. That's got nowhere to go, right? Exactly. Um, in fact, the CDC recently came out with one of their studies, and of course they're not plastering this all over the media like they should, but what they're finding is for people that are having, you know, all these new outbreaks that they're having, the people, what is it, it was something like um, some huge, like 77% of the people uh, who are in the getting these outbreaks of COVID-19 now are people who always wear a mask. Yeah, I just saw it. So I thought it was like 87%. Okay. It's I thought it was in the high. 80s. It's uh, yeah, it's high. extremely high. Whereas people who never wear a mask were something like 0.2% or something like drastically low. So let's think about this. <laughs> Those who get COVID-19 are always wearing a mask. Those who don't get COVID-19 are never wearing a mask. Huh. So let's think about that. Now let's look at two other things like science related or, or you know, medically related. So Dr. Martin Dubravic, this expert immunologist and epidemiologist that I've been talking to for a while has been studying all of this because he's known it's been wrong for quite some time since May, or excuse me, since March, he's been writing about this. And um, it's through his articles that I started to research and find and write and whatnot. And so he was telling me about this study where they had COVID-19 um, positive patients, like tested clinically positive, um, and they had them wear the masks. I want to say it's like six hours or something like that. And um, anyway, they wore it for a significant period of time, and then they did tests. First, they swabbed the outside of the mask. Then afterwards with a different swab, they swabbed the inside of the mask, okay? So the outside of the mask, which was swabbed first, meaning uh, that when you're swabbing on the inside, that the argument might be that you're pushing debris or particles towards the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't happen here because they swabbed the outside first. The outside of the mask had significantly more um, particles of COVID-19 than the inside of the mask. Why? Because N95 masks are grossly uh, inadequate for COVID-19. COVID-19 spores are so tiny that an N95 mask is literally, um, it's, I, well, I have some analogies that came to mind. They don't seem quite appropriate for um, a you know, like a mosquito through a, a, yeah, a chain link fence. Yeah, a mosquito through a chain link fence. That <laughs> is much more appropriate than some of the other things that were coming to mind. <laughs> I'm going to thank Frank and some of the others that have recently put those images in my head in conversations. Perfect. But Good to have friends. <laughs> it is. So, yes, a mosquito. Is a chain link fence going to stop a mosquito? Well, no. When EEE was the whole big crisis last year around this time in October, the governor didn't say... 
you must put chain link fences around your properties and around your homes and around everything because that's going to save you from these terrible mosquitoes. No, because that's just stupid. <laughs> so why would you wear an N95 mask to stop COVID-19, which spores are so small that they just fly right on through there. And what's worse yet, they collect around on the outside of this thing because you're breathing in and out and you have the, the moisture from your breath all day long. And it's just, they're sticking there and then they're, they're more likely instead of just in open air dispersing at a normal rate uh you're having it all together and then also you're probably touching and adjusting your mask and stuff no so one does that no one does that where's your mask by the way i'm offended um, so. i don't have one. Ooh. Brought a so, yeah so um <laughs> Uh, um, the, um, yeah, so the, yeah, we Sarcasm won't even go there. Sarcasm is too strong in this room. Um, so shoot, no, that made me, um, lose what I was going to say. So if you are sick, if you are immunocompromised and you, um, are worried, you know, or you live with somebody who's immunocompromised, um, and so I know some people like this and they're the well-intentioned and quite frankly, these are some very intelligent people mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Absolutely. I'm going to wear this mask because I live with so-and-so or I work for so-and-so on a regular basis and they're very immunocompromised or they're elderly and they're, you know, wearing the mask is more, is going to make you more prone to, um, getting the virus, getting any virus. And it's going to make them more prone to getting it. By wearing a mask, you are doing things outside of the manner in which God designed your body to live and breathe and need air. So you are actually setting yourself, yourself up for failure. No, so that's the legal side. That's the, the medical side. Um, I have a few of these little things. So you took my favorite. Um, oh, sorry. So my yeah. favorite that I like to tell people these days, and I have to give my friend Mark Petzold all the credit for this because he had been saying this a lot, and I think he's probably said this throughout the years that I've known him, and it never sunk in until April 30th. And it's like I hear it clear as day. Um, for 2 Timothy um, 1, 7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, sound mind. So all the medical stuff we just talked about, all the constitutional stuff we just talked about, the legal stuff we just talked about, are you supposed to wear a mask ever, let alone in church? That is living out of a spirit of fear, if nothing else. Um... And, you know, let's look at Psalm 3124. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. So you're supposed to have courage. We're not made of a spirit of fear. Or Psalm 5611. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Well, of course, man made COVID-19, right? Um, that's why it has those four little spiky things instead of two, and there's all kinds of other... Anyway, we won't even go there. <laughs> Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I haven't worn a mask ever. I tried to wear one one day to be able to say goodbye to the teachers I worked with at a local public school, actually um, probably two miles from here. Okay. And um, that day in May when I went there to clean out my office and everything because, um, well, at least for the summer, you know, because I don't, I never worked in the summer there. I tried to wear the mask one time on my way back out because that was my last time out. And I wanted to say goodbye to these women that I've worked with for years and love and adore. And so I wanted to, they were all wearing masks and I thought, okay, I'll try to do their thing just out of respect for them. Right. 
and just for a few minutes. I couldn't handle it. I was constantly pulling the thing away from my face and then I'm then touching it. That kind of <laughs> defeats the purpose of like the cleanliness aspect. Mm -hmm. And I eventually, I just couldn't take it. I had to take it off. That is the only time I have ever even attempted to wear a mask because I can't. I have medical reasons for not being able to. Um, and of course, I'm not alone in that. So um, we need to remember it's, you know, I've been, I'm just as an example, I stood in the steps of, on the steps of the Capitol and talked with thousands of people that day and yeah. were, was in the midst of thousands of people that day. I then was inside the Capitol when um, Speaker of the House Lee Chatfield was violating our state constitution, Article 4, Section 20, by keeping the doors of the legislature closed during session. Silly little thing. Anyway, so... <laughs> Had the Capitol Security and State Police, because we needed both the Redcoats and the Blue Guys, uh, to keep us out of the uh, legislature while it was in session. And uh, so we're packed like sardines. Well, why was his reasoning, by the way? Because they needed the whole gallery for, um, they needed to ha be able to have the legislature, legislators spread out throughout the gallery because they needed to be socially distancing during the session. Um, well, funny thing is, the, I'm just, I gotta read this to you. So Article 4, Section 20 of our state constitution actually says that uh, open meetings is what it's called. Uh, the doors of each house shall be open unless the public security requires otherwise. So not the safety or security of the legislators, but of the public. And yet the public was packed like sardines out in the hallway, in the whole stairway, the whole rotunda, because we were trying to get in and participate in government, in which it's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Yeah. And so uh, how many cases of COVID now? She threatened to re tighten restrictions, right? Because mm -hmm. we were being so irresponsible. In fact, my face made it to uh, the nightly news several times that week, including uh, Dr. Burks, I believe it is, who's the um, working with Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, she didn't know me by name, of course, but uh, my face was uh, on one of her interviews where she's talking about, look at how these people are just so awful and being, you know, irresponsible. Let me tighten my Scarf a little bit more while I tell you that these people are trying to kill others. That's literally basically how yeah, it that's, went. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's how they portray it. And how many of us that were in that area got COVID? I mean, there were hundreds of us just inside alone. Thousands of us outside. I hugged my friends. I hugged new people. I shook hands like normal humans do in fellowship with one another. Standard interaction, yep. None of us got COVID-19. Interesting how that works. Um, so, um, anyway, um, and I've continued to go to rallies. In fact, as someone who's trying to educate the entire state on our Constitution and our laws and, you know, even some biblical passages, um, because God is the reason for it all, um, I've gone to hundreds of different, you know, locations all across the state since, uh, well, April 30th was my first one. And I have managed to go to all these places and hug people and shake hands and introduce myself and definitely be within six feet of others and haven't gotten COVID-19. So um, I'm going to be uh, relying on the Lord. I'm going to be uh, doing all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but what's interesting is, um, you know, some people wear masks because they're afraid of others, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're afraid of the... the um, 
you know, their friends and family, like looking down on them or society thinking of them as evil or not caring about others. Um, so let's just kind of remind ourselves of Ezekiel 2, 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. So, yeah, people suck is basically what that says, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, shortly. <laughs> and they're all around you. Mean people are everywhere and mean people suck. And you can't be afraid of them because God, what, did not give us a spirit of fear. So we're supposed to be courageous. In fact, what is it in Romans? Um, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Um, and in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? So there's all these good, awesome things um, that are um, we're supposed to be doing. Um, and we're supposed to be keeping in mind. And uh, masks, do masks save anyone from COVID-19? Where is a study that says that? And it hasn't been actually peer-reviewed. Have there been uh, scientists and doctors and practicing professionals on all sides of this being able to look at that data and evaluate it? No, it doesn't exist. Um, and so where is the biblical perspective on this that we're just supposed to wear masks because half the people are afraid in our congregations or even a tiny percentage like in my church? I haven't been back to my church because they're so hypocritical. They are stopping all the services. Marriage counseling services don't need to happen anymore because, uh, well, COVID's here. And the COVID is definitely more dangerous than uh, the darkness and evil that can tear apart a husband and wife. Mm. Uh, so I... Priorities. Yeah, we, it's, this is America. You know, TV is a number one priority. Uh, million dollar sports uh, superstars, those are priorities. Um, you know, we have a lot of priority, uh, abortions and liquor and, uh, in places like Michigan and Colorado pot, you know, those are priorities. Um, uh, but being able to truly help yourself and be a responsible citizen and exercise your rights and your liberties and protect the rights and liberties of those around you, that gets you the label of being careless and evil and trying to kill people. Yeah, that, that <laughs> summed up the, their mentality pretty well. And so should we go to church without a mask? Every single day, unless it's Halloween and there's a special celebration. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's funny you say that. So one of the things I had, uh, you know, when I, when I was thinking, about, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So I've been to a few churches and stuff, especially stepping down as lead pastor as I'm trying to figure out, God, what do you want from me? Um and seeing sometimes these, you know, churches where that happens, I was, just, I told um, my wife recently, looking in the service and seeing people wearing them, I, I, I was actually literally like, and I don't usually feel very sad for people. I actually felt sad because I was like, that is so sad that you come to the house of God and you are so scared that you can't even interact normally. Like they, they stay off in the corner with their little mask on and then they leave. And they don't even communicate with anyone. I'm like, well, you just heard a sermon. That's all you did. You didn't fellowship. Church is more than a sermon. Church is more than just some music. You know, uh, church happens when fellowship happens. Uh, you know, I can listen to, there's amazing sermons I can find on YouTube. Yeah. I can listen to all sorts of amazing speakers. But, you know, the reason why YouTube isn't church is because there's not that interaction. There's not that. And then, you know, and I say this too. You know, if, if somebody chooses out of their own personal liberty to wear a mask, that is your personal individual liberty, Romans 14 and all that would say that. You have that 
freedom. You know, I don't care if you wear a hat to church even. I don't care if you wear sneakers. If you choose to wear a mask, that's on you. But to sit there and require it uh, completely uh, across the board, it, you are now violating other people's ab ability to worship. You're violating other people's uh, li liberty. And whose liberty gets to dictate over whose? And that's and those are the positions. That's why as a pastor, the, the for me, the decision seems so clear, which is, well, we're going to have normal services. And if you want to wear a mask, that's, that's your choice. And if you don't, that's fine. And I remember so many people at church being like, well, I had like two people show up with a mask one week and then they were halfway through the, through it, they just took it off and they, oh, it's almost like they saw the silliness of it all. And it's like, you know, and when you really consider, you know, you know, Paul says let each one, even Paul, so right here it says each one be convinced by their own God given conscience. That's from Paul, you know, let each one be convinced of his own mind, you know? So there's, that all comes to play when we're talking about how a Christian operates this. Like you should be convinced in your own mind. You should have, you know, if someone is, if I'm convinced differently, then you don't have the right to sit there and force me to operate differently. I, I'm starting to wonder though, with, when it comes to the mask issue and how much it's actually putting people at risk to wear them, I think that's the public safety issue. That's the public health issue. If people are wearing these masks all the time, especially how they're wearing them inappropriately. Exactly. Um, but even just wearing a typical mask the, the correct way, uh, you're putting yourself and your family and others at, around you at risk, a greater risk of getting not only COVID-19, but the flu and a variety of other things. I think that is the thing that we need to think about prohibiting. You know, you can't wear a mask here. If you need to wear a mask, um, then you have, you have, I guess, like your own section of deadliness over there. But, uh, you know, the rest of us don't want to have that increased risk of all these infections and things because you're bringing that bacteria and you're bringing that uh, disease with you around and like sharing it with people. Right. And well, and my wife is eight months pregnant right now. Like, you know, and I'm all, you know, at work, they'll, they'll sit there and try to require that and all, all day. And it's like, and that bothers the snot out of me because I'm like, my wife is, she's pregnant. Let the woman breathe. My child needs to breathe. And they also commented that, uh, you know, my, our child is, is a little smaller than normal and stuff. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's because there's not enough oxygen going in there. Um, just a thought. Just a thought. Can't help it. I'm not a medical expert. Not sure if that has anything to do with it. But these are thoughts that come into my mind. But, yeah, anyway, so um, don't want to take too much more of our time here because I know we got some – you got a, another interview at like 10 p.m. tonight. Yes, um, And so with that being said, I just really quickly wanted to plug – so uh, Michigan people, Restore Freedom Initiative. Uh, that 1945 thing with Stand Up Michigan, that got a lot of, there, there's a lot of financial backing behind it. There is a million dollars worth, no big deal. <laughs> no, no big deal. And you got, you, you got like a fraction of that budget. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. And here's the thing. We were saying for the longest time with that 1945 act, you know, yes, all those people are great people. Yes, we support them. Yes, I understand your mission was to overthrow the one thing that she was abusing. But the. But she was actually not just abusing the one law. Right. It was, you know, yeah, 1976. The law. Other ones. Nobody believed me. But. but and then we did say that the medical health. So the biggest thing is, uh, you know, what uh, Attorney Catherine Henry here has proposed is a complete constitutional amendment. So this means we would be completely making sure this can never happen again. There's a petition and we need you had the specific number. Um, how many was that? We need 425,059 signatures turned in, and we really need those turned in by November 13th, so we have the time to process those and get those all, you know, we're actually validating more than the Stand Up Michigan group did. 
Um, you know, everybody to each his own, right? They were doing it under the philosophy of whatever the Secretary of State does. I'm a perfectionist. I like to know that what I'm doing is doing it right completely. And so we've already validated over 30,000 signatures. Nice. And uh, we're growing. You know, I had at least five people actively working on validating signatures all through the workday today, uh, not to mention what we have set up in other locations with our remote validating. So um, it's... Um, yeah, we we want to make sure that we are um, on target to getting the signatures that we need. And at this point, I think a lot of people did follow the money. They did follow the legislature's lead and say, oh, 1945. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Let's do that. And uh, meanwhile, the whole problem has still been going on with 1976 and the 1945 and the public health code and all these other things that they're trying to do. And so we need everybody to stand up. And if you're someone who's never collected signatures before in your life, do you want to continue living in these conditions? Seriously, because if you don't want to do something, you can actually have an impact. You can have clipboards in your car with petition sheets on them, and you could pull up to the Meyer gas station, get out to get gas, look over and see, oh, that guy who's filling up his gas tank does not have a mask on. Hey, sir, would you mind signing this petition? It's to secure our freedom and make sure this whole mask thing never happens again. And then what do you know? He might say, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Thank you. And sign it. Uh, worst case, he says, no, I actually love masks, but mine just got dirty and I had to throw it away. Oh, okay. Thanks, sir. Have a great day. I mean, like, really, that's the worst that could happen. So, um, really, you can, you can impact so many people and your own future uh, by doing so little. You know, it's, it's getting signatures and making donations, um, but really getting signatures. We need 425,059 good signatures to turn into the Secretary of State, so we need your help. Um, if you can hold events, hold events. If you can door knock your whole neighborhood, do that. If you can call up every single one of your friends and family members that are in your phones. I mean, back in the day, I don't know about you, uh, I don't think you guys are quite as old as me, but I remember my very first cell phone, and I think it held 30 phone numbers. Woo! It was fantastic. I think it held 30 text messages at a time and 30 phone numbers. Fancy. And so, uh, back in those days, that'd be so great. I go through 30 text messages in an hour at uh, with one person. Um, so anyway, if you would go through, you know, any amount of people in your phone and just say, you know what, I can just ask, I can just ask. And it's not a conservative liberal thing. It's not a Democrat, um, Republican thing. This is a freedom thing. Do you want the choice to be able to breathe fresh air? Do you want your government to be able to say to you that you have to have this COVID-19 vaccine? By the way, did you know AstraZeneca has this whole COVID-19 uh, vaccine trial going on and the very first patient died? Oh, did you know that? Did not know that. That was just announced, I think, in the wee hours of this morning or possibly yesterday morning. Yeah, that's a thing. So do you really want to be the next guinea pig on that? How about um, the fact, well, all vaccines have risks, right? And even the flu vaccine, which has been out for forever, right? Um, it is only 40 to 60% effective in any, uh, any given year, 40 to 60%. Is it worth all that risk that you're getting with that when it's only 40 to 60% effective? I mean, so how long is it going to take to get a vaccine that truly would even be effective for COVID-19? Um, are you willing to be the ones that die um, while, you know, just trying to prevent something that, quite frankly, if you're in the healthy category, is not going to kill you anyway? 
Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm going to wear a, a super sharp razor blade seatbelt, you know, because it's whatever, in theory, going to protect me more from anything that might get me in the event of a car crash. But then in the meantime, I'm just sitting in a car that most of the time is not going to crash. And every time I just breathe or move or sneeze, it's going to cut my skin because it's a razor blade seatbelt. Like some things are just like, that's just stupid. So... Anyway, I guess uh, my point is, you, do you want to be stuck with any of those things? If you don't, if, what if someday, um, you don't see how this impacts you negatively at all, but what if someday, um, you know, heaven forbid, that your, if you're, you're a guy, your um, teenage daughter becomes a victim of rape, and your teenage daughter then is no longer able to have any kind of something over her face ever again, because that, that PTSD is so strong. She is right back there in that moment and she shuts down. Uh, are you as a father or mother, are you going to allow the community society to force her to wear a mask, to go get groceries, to go to church, to go to school, to participate in society, to earn a living? Are you going to stop her from living life? because she's already had this horrible thing happen to her and then the society would want to victimize her all over again? What about all the, the millions of um, veterans that have PTSD because they've had all kinds of things happen to them, uh, especially when, you know, mostly when they're overseas that we don't have any idea about. And they have been putting their lives on the line literally um, in order to secure our freedom um, and our choice to do, you know, wear a mask or not wear a mask or go to church or not go to church. And they come home and they have been harmed in sometimes very um, irreparable ways. Do we have the right to say, I'm sorry, but you still have to wear a mask if you want to come in the store or if you want to go to school? No, we don't have the right to do that to people. Um, I have a lot of stories about people who literally, I mean, it would... <laughs> It would bring you to tears, even if you're this, this you know, super tough, uh, strong, you know, man in your neighborhood or in your family. Um, I'm telling you, if you knew the stuff that people went through, you would realize that fighting for our liberty is fighting for the little guy. It's fighting for the safety and security of millions of people all across this state. All 10 million people deserve safety and security, not just those that are living based out of fear and bad science. So please help us with the Restore Freedom Initiative. Please get signatures. Um, I went through like a whole another little thing just on that when I was trying to tell you the number. No, you're fine. No, and that's the big thing is, uh, so help with the Restore Freedom Initiative. What's the website for you? It's Restore Freedom, K as in Catherine, H as in Henry.com. Okay, and that's, that's where I was like, I know there's a slight difference there. So go there and you, you know become a circulator. And if not, there's a list of businesses and places you can go to sign it. If you're like, okay, I can't be a circulator, but I can at least participate in signing. Yes. I know I, my dad is super involved in politics. And when I talked to him about it, probably two weeks after the, uh, the rally where we met, it was one of those I mentioned, he's like, the what? I'm like, how do you not know about this? How have you of all people not know about this? So I was like, all right, I looked one up in his area, sent him the address, like, go sign it. And we need more people to do this. We need more people to be engaged. It's all volunteers. Uh, we're living, working on a limited group of people. And then on top of that, fun fact for you, this woman hasn't taken a day off in months. Uh, have you taken a day off in months since not last since time I talked to you? the beginning of April. Okay, that's what I thought. And works day in and day out around this, doesn't even get paid for it. Uh, you do this all volunteer. 
she has completely like basically set aside her firm to just take this as a fight um, to to the government. So one of the things that you mentioned is that you're basically living off of any site sort of donations that people are gracious enough to give. Yes. Would they be able to give on your website as well? Yeah, so there's actually three different ways to give on the website. Okay. Um, so I I like to keep everything on the up and up, start to finish. So uh, we have uh, clear explanations on the website, but one of the options, and we even keep them different uh, for different funding sources or companies, just to be totally clear. So um, there is a um, PayPal account set up to be able to donate for the Restore Freedom Initiative for the petition. So if you want to help us in these last few weeks, um, try to get some TV commercials that we really can't afford at all, or radio commercials, or you know, and you know, get more signs out, or whatever the case may be, so that we can get the word spread out there. Um, Facebook and um, Google have not been very nice. We signed up, and we were trying to get our ads approved. They're very simple and straightforward, and they said, no, it's about an election. You can't have it. What? So we need your help. Um, so yes, if you want to donate PayPal, um, or checks can come in the mail and there's directions on how to do that and what information we would need. Uh, you can donate through Square, which is through my business. So if you want to help fund all the legal work that I do so that I don't have to handwrite anymore when I do legal briefs, no, uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, but I have, uh, I need to buy a new printer. Uh, and the amount of paper that I've been printing and uh, the high quality I need for the scans and different all kinds of stuff. I'm really looking at like a six, $700 printer. Um, and um, it's, you know, so where's that money going to come from, right? I have to pay my bar dues, uh, which I want, I don't even know. They're probably three, $400. I have to do that this month. Um, and, you know, those kinds of things that if you want to help with that, um, Square, that's where that goes into is my business. And then thirdly, um, my dad was worried that we weren't going to be able to pay our bills because I have student loans that don't get to stop just because I'm donating my time in this regard. So, uh, and we have a mortgage and we have car payments. We have four kids, uh, one in college and the youngest is in first grade. So we got the whole gamut. And of course, homeschooling isn't cheap and you don't get tax credits for that, interestingly enough. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, so if you would like to help in that regard, we have a GoFundMe set up just for that, at my, that my dad set up. Um, that's available through the website as well. You can always send a check. Um, you know, we can basically accept cash for anything except for the petitions. Uh, the rules of campaign finance get a little bit sticky with that. So we just basically ask for the most part, no cash with um, the petition. But I would appreciate anything. I have people that donate $5. That's awesome. Thank you. I have people that have donated a lot more than that. And I really, really appreciate every single thing. I have people that can't donate, but they write me letters and they tell me how much they appreciate that I'm fighting for their freedom. And honestly, on the days where I get death threats and people telling me they want to scratch up my car with their keys in the parking lot or, you know, where they're, you know, calling me awful, vile things or saying that I'm obviously out to kill people when I tell people they get to burn their masks if they want to. Um, the days that I get those letters that are just simple and straightforward and say, thank you, I appreciate that you're fighting for our freedom, uh, those help too. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to link her website in the description below of the video as well. So if you want to go straight there, but also, um, you know, Catherine, thank you for your time. You've been a huge inspiration for me. First time I heard you speak, Brian and I were in the audience and him and I both looked at each other and we're like, 
get her on the podcast. <laughs> it was like this instant. We both looked at each other. We're like, yep, this is happening. So thank you for all your hard work. You know, please people donate, sign, be a circulator. There's only a few more weeks left of this. And uh, unfortunately, I can't sign more than once. Um, no, and you, if you've already signed, please don't help us by signing more than once. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> don't, please don't do that. So anyway, thank you, Catherine, so much for being on. If you guys haven't already, like and subscribe to The Church Split and uh, go to her... Restore Freedom page on YouTube. Yes. Yep. Or you can even just, uh, honestly, you can search her name and it will pull up her, her, your as, as well. Did cool. it last night. News to me. Um, so cool. Uh, thank you for being on, guys. If you have any questions, please put them in the comments below. And he'll uh, answer all of them. And I will go ahead and designate that to Brian. We'll answer <laughs> all of them. <laughs> and thank you all for tuning in. Take care.